Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ranking of the Stars, a podcast in which I, Jack D'Lo Boblik, and my lovely, luscious, lightning bolt onslaught wife. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emmeline D'Lo Boblik. Usually watch in chronological order every single movie that has won the Oscar for Best Picture, but today we're doing something a little different. Yeah. Since we have finished the 1930s, it is time for our 1930s retrospective. Well, we'll be handing out our own awards in the following categories. Best male character. Best female character. Worst male character. Worst female character. Best visuals overall. Best visuals with specific scenes. Most stylish. Worst moment of the decade. And finally, best moment of the decade. Yep. What's the poster for this list? <laughs> a whole big mess. A whole bunch of heads. <laughs> a whole bunch of heads, Just exactly. Just a whole damn bunch of heads. With a bright mustard yellow background. Yep. Should we get right to it? Let's get to it. Our nominees for best male character of the 1930s, and we should point out that we're, even though Wings and Broadway Melody didn't come out in the 30s, technically, there wasn't enough movies to have a full 1920s, so yeah. we're including them here, so they don't get left out in the cold. All right. The nominees for best male character are Tony Kirby, Fletcher Christian, The Baron from Grand Hotel, Emil Zola, Grandpa Venderhoff, Kaczynski or Kat from All Quiet on the Western Front, and Kringlein. Kringlein. And we should also point out that this is not about performances. Yeah. This is simply plot-wise who was the best character we felt. Yeah. And I think the first person we can remove from contention is Tony Kirby. He was going to be one of my contenders. For the whole thing? Really? Yeah. I did not feel that strongly about him at all. I just, I really appreciated how uh, quirky he was, how much of a, not necessarily an evolution we see in him, but he really stuck to his guns and just really wanted to be with Alice and was going to do everything that it took to be with her. So he was going to be one of my contenders. <laughs> All right, did I say Tony Kirby? I meant, uh, <laughs> I meant, well, clearly I meant Emil Zola. <laughs> right. <laughs> why, why do you think that we can remove him? Emil Zola? Yeah. He, despite the fact that movie was named after him, he did not play a huge role in it other than sitting in the courtroom and scowling. Yeah, he, he's almost a, a non-character. Yeah, he a side character in his own movie. Yeah. And also, he's not an original character. It's, he's a, an actual historical person, so right. you dock points for that. I like the performance, especially in the final speech that he gives in, sure. in the courtroom. But other than that, yeah. Not. Did not leave that much of an impression. Yeah. Emil Zola is gone. Emil Zola is gone. I would also maybe take out Kaczynski. Just, I like the, again, I like the performance, but I don't feel that the character in itself was on screen for very long. I like the personality of the, of the character, but eh, not enough of him. Probably as it is with Tony Kirby with you. It's the same with me and Kaczynski. I like him more than you do. I yeah. like the, the grizzled veteran archetype. And 
also subverting it a little bit by never being overly harsh or abusive towards any of his subordinates. Very almost maternal figure. That's true. Which is odd to have in a war movie. That's true. But Oh, you should have seen him. I just finished watching the remake of All Quiet on the Western Front, the one that was up for the Oscars last year and lost Best Picture to Everything Everywhere Everywhere All at Once. And he's even more of a of a parental figure in that one because in this movie they give him a backstory where he has a family and a son, a baby who died, and he really looks after the soldiers and is really even more of a paternal figure to them. He briefly mentioned a family in the one scene where they were ta- taking pictures out, and that's yeah. why he got upset about them becoming nostalgic. Did he still look like a slab of beef? Yes. He still look like Jason Statham. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I like Kaczynski, but also this is not the the hill I'm going to die on. Right. So. Right. So we're left with Tony Kirby, Fletcher Christian, the Baron, and Kringleine. And Grandpa Vanderhoff. And Grandpa Vanderhoff. <laughs> <laughs> I think Fletcher Christian can be the next one to go. He's just kind of a generic Hollywood hero. There's nothing particularly special about him. Yeah, I can I can see that. Apart from the fact that it was you know, that he was played by Clark Gable. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't yeah. the sexiest male character list. It's uh, it's best. I mean, we should have probably had maybe a, Sex- a, a sexiest maybe. male character. <laughs> well, there would have been no discussion. It, it would have been Clark Gable. It's Clark Gable, <laughs> forever and for always. Right. Yes. Let's start deleting these off the okay. list as we remove them. So Fletcher yeah. Christian's gone into the briny deep. Emil Zola immediately follows. Jacques Hughes, he says, <laughs> as he falls into the sea. <laughs> and there goes Kaczynski, dead yeah. just like in the movie. Yeah. So we're left with Tony Kirby, the Baron, uh, Grandpa Vanderhoff, and Kringleine. I think my vote is probably going to be to go to Kringleine, I'll be honest. For the whole thing? Yeah. Wow. I'd take the Baron over Kringleine. Really? Yes. The Baron The Baron was more stylish. He was more charming and assured. He was wittier than Kringleine. Kringleine was just kind of bumbling through the plot. Yeah, I think what I remember the most from Kringleine is that scene when he stands up to Prizing and finally gets to tell him what he really thinks about him. Yeah, same thing. Grandpa same thing with Grandpa. And same actor. I didn't, <laughs> didn't even realize till this moment that we had the same actor on this list twice. Yeah. Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. We, yeah. We can take Grandpa off. Yeah. He Yeah. Still pisses me off. <laughs> Bye, Grandpa. All right. Tony Kirby, the Baron, and Kringleine. My vote's for the Baron. I knew. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. I know I'm much more partial to that movie than you are. Tony Kirby's just... He's not charming enough. He's quirky, but that doesn't really set him apart because everyone in that movie is quirky. Okay. For me. Okay, so your vote is for the Baron. My vote is for the Baron. Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Kringleine. Stick with Kringleine? Yes. I liked his, again, not necessarily an evolution, but I liked his storyline in the, in the movie. The fact that he is really taking the time to enjoy the 
time he has left in his life, standard doing what he said he would at the beginning, he says that one day he's going to confront Prizing and tell him, give him a piece of his mind, and he does. And yeah, I really, I really enjoyed uh, Kringlein. I think he was a, a decent character. Ah, oh, but the Baron, he's stylish, he's charming, he's vulnerable, he's sad, he's wounded. I will fix his broken heart. <laughs> he's also a thief. He, and a he, thief with a heart of gold. He doesn't want to be. He has to be. I know, but he was a going to character. abandon the the dancer. He was going to like not meet her at the, the train station and just completely abandon her. He didn't make any arrangement to, to go to the train station and go with her. He was just stealing oh. the money, getting enough money so that he could pay his debts. He was paying off his de debts so he could go with her. I don't think he was going to abandon her. Mm. I don't know. I don't know that that was ever actually made explicit. Well, she offered to pay off his debts. Yeah. So if he was really just a scam artist, he could have just taken her money and, and bolted. That's true. You've That's been carrying true. around this false view of the Baron, and I won't stand for it. <laughs> He's a good man, damn it. Agree to disagree. So the Baron for me, Kringleine for you. Yes. Still came from the same movie. Yep. Grand Hotel, best male characters of the decade. That sounds good to me. Best female character. We have Mammy from Gone with the Wind, Alice from You Can't Take It With You, Edith Harris from Cavalcade, and Flemshin from the Grand Hotel. Yep. Smaller. Smaller pool. Smaller pool, which is a sign of the times. Less slim pickings for female characters yeah. in the 30s. Uh, I think Edith Harris and Flemchin are basically the same character, or the appeal of them is the same, that they're they're witty and can verbally uh, spar right. with their male counterparts. For me, Edith Harris is just, there's she only has really two scenes in the movie, and one scene that we remember her for is when she's asking her newlywed husband uh, if he's thinking about dying on their honeymoon, or and then they sink on the Titanic. What was it? If they had to like count all the ice in the ocean? If they had to count all the fish. All the fish in the ocean. Yeah, talking about wizards and death and whatnot. Yeah. It endeared me to her. Yes. <laughs> a testament to her character that she has so few scenes but left such an impact. All right. If I had to choose between her and Flemshin, I'd probably take... Oh, that's an that's an interesting turn. I, I thought I would go for Flemshin, but... I'd, I'd take Edith. Flemshin was... All right. Then we agree. I think Flemshin's the weaker of the two. She's yeah. not... She had a, a strong first showing with the Baron, but then kind of sputtered out at the end. Yeah. Just becoming kind of a damsel in distress yeah. type character. What about Alice? Alice, I think, suffers from the same thing that uh, Tony Kirby did, which she's quirky. And I appreciated the fact that she stopped taking bullshit from the, the Kirbys in the courtroom mm -hmm. scene. But at the end of the day, she's just one more quirky character in a... In a large ensemble of, of quirky characters right i don't think she really stands out right my i'm gonna state it right 
here and right now, a Mammy. Oh yeah, is my favorite character, and uh, my vote is gonna go to her. We are agreed on that. Yes, a hundred percent. Mammy takes this hands down. From the beginning, from the very first scene that she appears in, she is taking nobody's bullshit and calling people out on their bullshit, and just overall like the most honest character in this movie her yeah unwillingness to play along with scarlet her calling her out on her bullshit her hair trigger use of the term (laughs) white trash yeah anyone anyone you even look at mammy cross-eyed you're gonna get labeled white trash right across your forehead yeah and even after all the awful things that she's been through with uh, slavery and being their servant she is still one of the most caring characters uh, i've seen i love the two scenes that are going to stick with me from her are the scene when she is having fun and having good banter with red butler yep. while scarlet is having her baby Best and then scene in that whole movie exactly and then the scene she has with melanie after uh bonnie blue butler dies yep she shows so much emotion and care yeah most tragic scene in the whole movie yes so mammy it is mammy best female character of the 30s yes worst male character we have yancy cravat captain bly red butler and prizing yeah, this is a this might be the most contentious <laughs> category we have today cuz yes. man oh man. What's worse, uh, a murderer, a racist, a rapist? Some of these are m- multiple of those Multiple. <laughs> yeah. What a pool to choose from. I think the one the first one that we could take off is maybe prizing. Yeah, prizing does not He's not a good person, but he's also doesn't seem very awful. He's he is just a murderer, and that is not enough. Well, he's also misogynist, but that, that too. That's kind of just a given in this category. Yes, he does not. Uh, just being a murderer is not enough to hold weight with these other people. Yeah, this is the big leagues. You need to be truly fucked up to win <laughs> this award. All right, let's start at the top of this list. Blood on your hands, sigh, <laughs> yawn. Yancy Cravat? Oh, abandoned his family, racist, uh, narcissist. Everyone loves him. Terrible. Everyone loves him for no reason at all. Also a murderer, but yes. justified murderer, so yeah. makes him a hero. Captain Bly unjustified murderer (laughs) actively sadistic super into it (laughs) that's the thing that that's i think the thing that i would take the most into consideration is the actively sadistic and enjoying enjoying the torture enjoying giving grief to other people yeah with yancey and rhett butler they both are awful people but they have redeeming qualities right there there are lighter aspects to their character with captain Bly, there's just nothing yeah he's just pitch black yeah there are definitely 
redeeming qualities. I'm thinking for a red butler, especially the scene in the second part of Gone with the Wind when he brings back Ashley to the house and makes up a story so that Ashley wouldn't be arrested and tries to do the right thing for the women. And so... Yes, Rhett um, Butler is a multifaceted character, and to a lesser degree, Yancey is as well. But Captain Bly is just, anytime he's on screen, there's only one thing he's doing, and it's killing people. <laughs> it's causing pain and laughing about it. Yes. So, Captain Bly, I think we agree on that too, right? And Captain Bly wins the, the coveted Worst Male Character of the Decade Award. We <laughs> not, not something to be proud of, yep. but... We will refuse to shake his hand, just like the Admiral. Exactly. Worst female character? Worst Who do we have? We have Scarlett O'Hara, the queen sociopath herself. <laughs> we have Anna Held, the... How would you describe Anna Held? The continuously hysterical French woman... Yeah, Ziegfeld's first wife. Ziegfeld's first wife, the one who uh, was constantly just shrieking every time she was on screen. and yeah. uh, Never able to make a decision. Yes, could not make even the simplest decision if you put a gun to her head and the entire fate of the universe was at stake. Yes. Well, do it. No, don't do it. But yes, do it. But no. Ugh. <laughs> And Donna Cravat, Yancey's daughter, who is only on screen for, what, three minutes? But in those three minutes does not say anything that is not horribly racist and yeah, offensive. manages to be an incredible brat and extremely racist. She just unhinges her jaw and a fire hose of diarrhea shoots out. <laughs> and the last one... Miriam Kirby, yeah. uh, Mr. Kirby's wife, who I think can be the first one we take off. She's just your garden variety, busybody, and pearl clutcher. We, we've we even seen other versions of that character in the other movies, so yeah. she, she doesn't stack up. Right. Not bad enough to hang with this crowd. So we're left with Donna, the uh, <laughs> world record holder for fastest time to becoming racist. <laughs> And Anna Held and Scarlett O'Hara. Oh, yeah. Anna's just annoying. Yeah, that's the thing. She's not necessarily a bad person. Or any. She, she's just more... Uh, she has an annoying personality. She's just exhausting yeah. to be around. Yeah. Which does make her a very awful character. But not awful enough. So Between Scarlett and Donna... I mean, it has to go to Scarlet, right? Just, uh, yes. <laughs> just from length of time on. For the amount uh, we've been shitting on this character and on, and on this movie overall, I think it definitely has to go to Scarlet. Yeah, for the amount of time she's on screen and just the prodigious amount of awful things she does throughout this entire movie and just how she constantly one ups herself. Yeah. Every time you think she can't get any worse, she does. From uh, not one, but two, two fake marriages to people she doesn't like, beating her slave, uh, trying to steal her best friend's husband at every opportunity she gets. Yes. Using and abusing prisoners f for cheap labor. What else? Yeah. I will say that a good... Have, having no love for her own child. Yeah. 
I will say that a good friend of mine informed me that there is more to Scarlett O'Hara in the novel itself, that she has a little bit more extenuating circumstances, I guess, in the in the novel. But in the movie, those extenuating circumstances are not portrayed. Nope. So it's almost, to me, like... It almost, almost sounded to me like the movie and the novel are two different cultural products. And there's no way that the Scarlet that we see in the movie would have any of my affection or attention at all. So, uh, yeah, Scarlet it is. She's, she's a villain. She's a villain and the movie doesn't even know that she's a villain, which makes it worse. Yes. Best visuals overall, we have The Great Zegfield, Gone with the Wind, Wings, and It Happened One Night. Which one do you think can go first? As much as it pains me to say it, I think, I don't think It Happened One Night stacks up with these others. It has very, very stylish noir scenes that really moody for the time, especially, but it doesn't hold a candle to the impressive technical achievements of Wings or Gone with Wind or, or Zegfield. It's very small, intimate moments where these other three have very massive, you know, impressive, overwhelming visuals. Yeah, where... I think we'll come back to it in the next category when we talk about uh, best visuals or for specific scenes. Yeah. That might be a little bit more of a contender in that, in that category, mm. I think. But overall, doesn't hold up. Yeah. What about Wings? Wings? I'm hesitating on this one, really. Wings still might be the most impressive movie we've watched, technically yes. speaking. Visually, the the fire on the planes was really great. All the aerial battles were amazing, but... Yeah. I feel like it's more of a technical achievement than an artistic achievement. I can agree with that. Yeah. Incredibly yeah. impressive for the time. And that's it. It's mostly for me like how impressive it is for the time. Because if this movie was made today, I don't think that it would be as impressive. I think it, no. it's more thinking about the time that it was made. Yeah, it's holy shit they made this in the 1920s. Yeah. With full-on aerial battles and planes falling out of the sky. But if this were a technical achievement award, I think it would win hands down. But I don't think that's what we're going for with this category. Yes. So, Wings Falls Burning Out of the Sky. And we are left with Gone with the Wind and The Great Zegfield. This is a tough one. It is really tough because I think for The Great Zegfield... Same thing as it happened one night. I think it might be, to me, more of a contender for specific scenes than the overall movie. Yeah, for the the great Zegfeld, it it comes and fits and starts. It's those performances yeah. that are absolutely awe inspiring and just blow you away. But in between those grand moments, there's just a lot of people in. Fancy looking rooms, but every I think every single one of these movies we've watched has had fancy looking rooms. Yeah. So 
And there's no particular like technique or camera techniques or anything that and that I'm remembering that would be that would warrant giving it the uh, giving it this category. Yeah, you're right about that. It's more what the camera is looking at yeah. than how it's looking at it. Yes. Rather than for Gone with the Wind, for as awful as the movie is, honestly, I, visually it was stunning. Yeah, it's almost a given since it's the only movie we watched so far that had color in it. Yeah. And it it made such amazing use of that color. The enormous orange skies people were silhouetted against, the fire scenes. Yeah. The... All those beautiful frames where that we were talking about where it almost looks like paintings and not film. Yes, the the Wizard of Oz-like sets where it's a stylized interpretations of nature. The dresses, the balls, It it's a visually amazing movie. It's just the, the content. The content the is content not so great. The content of the plot is... It's this beautiful golden wrapper around this stinking awful turd. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Just going off the visuals, I think we can give it to Gone with the Wind overall. I believe so. So now we move on to Best Visuals Specific Scene. Who knew Gone with the Wind would get so many awards already? (laughs) All right. Best Visual for Specific Scenes. We have the Great Ziegfeld, the layer cake scene. The giant layer cake that just goes up and up and up forever. Gone with the Wind, we call it the corpse field when Scarlet is walking to the train station to get Dr. Mead in the first part. And we have, we just see her getting smaller and smaller and walking in a field of just corpse fr- uh, of, of the soldiers yep. who have been wounded or are already dead from the battle. The camera zooms out and she gets smaller and smaller and you just yeah. see the corpses to the horizon. We also selected It Happened One Night for specifically the uh, scene in the first roadside inn because of all the uh, those plays with light and color, and not color, just light in the background and how it gave us a more like noirish impression. Yeah. Was that Clark Gable in that movie? Yes. Holy shit. Yeah, so it's yes. when... Clark Gable, it doesn't feel like him thinking back on it. He's had, in the three movies that we've seen him in, in those, uh, in this decade, he's had widely different characters. Yeah, and aged noticeably. Yes. Yeah, it's the scene when he's in the bed smoking, and you can see the smoke curling around his face in the moonlight, and the the rain is on the windows, and it's it's very moody and noirish. Yeah. We have wings for the aerial scene. The aerial battle scenes. Uh, the aerial battle scene that happens over England when Mary is on the ground and our two protagonists are just battling and dropping bombs on the uh, on the ground. It's when they're fighting that one big German plane. It's yes, called the yes, dragon. Yes, yes. And then cavalcade the three and a half minute montage when the younger son goes to war and it's a long way to Tipperary is playing in the background. Yeah, the clusterfuck scene where it feels like <laughs> you just get thrown into a washing machine yes. with a bunch of random images. Yes. And turned on as high as it can go. I love that scene just when we watched it just because of it. It almost felt like... 
a nice break from everything else that had happened so far in the movie when we watched it. It was it felt like a yeah, a break in in the middle of all the grief that's happening too and I don't know. I don't know how else to to explain it. It just felt like a giving the audience a, a break in that movie. I liked it because it felt like I was losing my mind. <laughs> but Like me and the movie were losing our minds together. <laughs> I don't know that I want to keep it on the list, though. I don't think that it's a strong enough contender. Yeah, it was more just an honorable mention. Yeah. And speaking of honorable mentions, there was an honorable mention I wanted to make in the best male character category that I forgot, and that would be uh, Unconscious. <laughs> Yes. The drunk from Broadway for... Melody. <laughs> Unconscious. Yep. Yeah. Honorable mention for best male character. We give him the award, but we can't find him. Yes. All right. So Cavalcade is gone. The montage. The montage is gone. Is erased. It never happened. So the aerial scenes, first roadside in, the corpse field, and the layer cake. As much as it pains me, I think I'm also going to delete the aerial scene i think it's visually stunning and it's impressive and there's a lot of great shots and great technique but in the end if i compare it to the other three on the list so far i don't think i I will remember it for as long as the other ones yeah it doesn't hold up in memory as long as the others Wings is gone. It wins nothing. We we included Broadway Melody and Wings, but we're not going to give them any <laughs> awards. We acknowledge they exist and nothing more. Yes. So we're left with the layer cake from the Great Zegfeld, the corpse field from Gone with the Wind, and the first roadside in from It Happened One Night. Ooh, this is tough. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was just... I like them all for very different reasons. Yeah. Most, I like them all for aesthetic reasons, but very, they're very widely different. Yeah, it happened one night stands by itself even apart from these other two because it's such a small intimate scene and these other two are these in grand enormous things whereas what happened one night it's it's all just lighting and smoke and a little bit of rain yeah they're doing a, a lot with very little which in itself is impressive yeah it really sets up a a mood more than anything else like rather than the layer cake to me in in the great Siegfeld is it's amazing and stunning visually for how much they did it's completely different like they did so much work went into this scene there's so much so many props so many characters just I would put the layer cake as number one. It happened one night as second and gone with a win third. If we were doing rankings that way, because the layer cake, there's just so much. There was so much time and energy and effort and such variety to the costumes 
we start off with medieval dresses and whatnot. We move on to Asian influence stuff, and then we keep going up, and we just get the the women dressed like bats, and then like animals with all the sequins and glitter, and the men in top hats on the stairs, and then the whole stairs just being covered by women in dresses, and yeah. the whole thing rotating, and the stars in the background, and it just it just overwhelms you and just keeps going and going with new novel stuff. Whereas uh, with Gone with the Wind, the corpse field, like it's grand and impressive, but also at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of people lying on the ground, all dressed the same. Yeah. Which is a, a good visual. Yeah. But not nearly the same variety and novelty and, and artistry that went into the layer cake. Yeah, that's the thing. I was th- thinking that there's two ways for me to think about the about this category is like if we're just talking about visuals which it is i would probably follow the same ranking as you if we're also talking about how we felt watching those visuals i do think that gone with the wind would be first because it that scene to me was breathtaking and just made me rethink how I felt about the movie but also just feeling feeling the emotions of the characters feeling the the depth and the grandeur of the war and the effects that it has on people the weight of all that blood. yeah the weight of exactly the weight of all that blood and death and disaster so that for that reason it would have to go first if we're talking about emotions and then I would say it happened one night would be second and great sick Cloud would be third because it was stunning visually but it didn't necessarily make me feel anything other than amazement for the visuals um I was wide-eyed the entire time for yeah. the layer cake whereas the corpse field it did not impact me yeah nearly as much as it and it happened one night it was just that seems just cool. I think I'm okay with going with the layer cake. You okay with the layer cake? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Layer cake, winner of best visuals for a specific scene category. Most stylish. And what do we mean by most stylish? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of however you feel, man. Yeah. It's what There's style a- is. It's like jazz. If I got to explain it, you'll never understand. On this list, we have Grand Hotel, Gone with the Wind, The Great Ziegfeld, and It Happened One Night. I think It Happened One Night can go first. Yeah. You take it off first. Because aside from that one scene in the the roadside motel, there was not... It almost feels like it happened by accident. You think so? I don't think it... It did, really, but it feels that way because yeah. there's so little style in the rest of the movie mm. that they just stumbled upon, you know, catching lightning in a bottle and the the shadows and the rain and the smoke. They stumbled into something that they weren't necessarily intending to, to do. Yeah, I can see that. So accidental style is not real style thrown out of the club. The Great Ziegfeld to me is stylish if we think of all the costumes and all the the performances. It doesn't feel like it's it's 
own style though like it yeah. it doesn't it doesn't think that that stuff is stylish it just it's selling style to an audience yes so it's that it's what it thinks it's the kind of style it think will be profitable and garner attention yeah there's not necessarily any conviction behind it i think i would probably say you know have the same argument uh, the similar idea for gone with the wind where it's stylish in the costumes and what people wear and there's a lot of style in the like art production but it doesn't feel like it has its own like it's making a statement or that it has its own i don't know what to call it i don't know what a a good word for what I'm thinking about is um, its own atmosphere, almost. Yeah. In both those cases, The Great Zigfield and Gone with the Wind, they're also, you know, Zigfield, it's replicating his style. Yeah. So it's it's an imitation. Yeah. And then Gone with the Wind is an adaptation. Of they're an- almost like they're era pieces, but they're not... They're not original stories. They're not original pieces to me. There's something inherently unstylish about replication. Yes. So, and that's what both those things are. Rather than, for as much as I've said negatively about Grand Hotel, I can agree that it had it had its own atmosphere. I loved so much that it, it was, everything happened in the hotel uh, the hotel in itself has was its own character. Yeah, the style in that movie was part of the story itself. Yeah, of like the way they told it. Yeah, we. I remember talking about the front desk and the the opening scene where you can see pretty much everything around the front desk, and it just gave a really good representation of what it means to be in a hotel. What it the different perspectives that you can have in a hotel than just looking at people looking at characters through almost like a keyhole you see their lives you see snippets of their lives and and it just it really had its own style and its own atmosphere to me yep the doctor being the wandering ghost yes it feels like that's the only character we've had who had a very specific like metatextual role like that yeah where he's just the narrator and the the hovering spirit to comment on things and (laughs) people talk to him but they never really he doesn't feel like a a character so much as a a presence yeah Yeah. people come and go nothing ever happens nothing ever happens (laughs) yeah gone with the wind and the great zegfield they project style but the grand hotel is, creates its own style it is me. style yeah so most stylish of the decade yeah grand hotel i'm surprised that we agree so much on this i expected that we would have more diverging opinions <laughs> you expected us to come to blows by now and <laughs> not come to blows we'll just have show you the real weight of blood <laughs> We're down to our final two categories. Yeah. Worst moment of the decade and then best moment of the decade. Oh, boy. And I think this is telling of the 1930s that we have more contenders for worst moment than we do for best moment. (laughs) All right. On the worst moment of the decade, we have Mutiny on the Bounty 
for the disappointing mutiny. Oh, God. It just it never, uh, uh, never boiled over. It's so, yeah. We have Gone with the Wind. The first moment is Butler calling Prissy a simple-minded darkie. Yep. And then Gone with the Wind again <laughs> for uh, Butler sending Scarlet down the staircase and causing her miscarriage. Yep. Then we have Cimarron for mocking Isaiah for his clothes. Yeah, when he tried to follow him to the church. Yeah. And like the whole town laughs at him, basically. Yeah. And the end of Cimarron, where a crowd, a huge crowd of people cheers the unveiling of a statue of a racist. <laughs> then we have You Can't Take It With You for playing harmonica and solving everything. Yep. And the great Ziegfeld for the blackface performance. Yep. Thought you'd sneak by us, Ziegfeld, didn't you? Oh, we remembered. We remembered. Oh, how do we start narrowing this down? What? <laughs> I think that I would probably take, as problematic as it was for not representing reality, I would probably take, you know, you, take it, uh, you can't take it with you off this list because it's it doesn't hurt. It doesn't harm anyone. I know. It's just stupid. Yes. It's just offensively stupid. Yes. Whereas uh, these other ones are genuinely offensive. So wanted to get it on here so we could shit on it one more time <laughs> before we move on. But yeah, we can take it off the list. Yep. What else? Probably Mutiny on the Bounty for the disappointing mutiny. Yes, it was disappointing. God. But does it hurt anyone? Is it actually problematic? The lack of catharsis. Yeah, more frustrating than anything. Yeah. But ugh. Oh, we can take it off. Yep. And then we're left with all the racist stuff. Yeah, the battle of the racists. <laughs> Which racist is most racist? <laughs> yeah, this has just become the, yeah, the racism award yeah. of the 1930s. I think we can take Scarlet falling off the stairs because it's the only one that's not racist in this category that's left. Yeah. As bad as it, bad, bad as it was, it was unintentional. Yeah. It, it wasn't great to see, to have the immediate reaction from Red Butter. Like, oh, maybe you'll have an accident. Hey, here, I'll give it to you right now. Yeah. An accident like this. Yeah. The speed at which it occurred after it was mentioned was comical. Yes. So cheering the statue of a racist, blackface performance, mocking Isaiah for his clothes, and Butler or, calling Prissy a simple-minded darky. Uh, I think out of all of these, the worst one to me would probably would be mocking Isaiah. I think I'm with you because cheering the the statue of Yancey, like we said, there were some slight aspects of his character that you could look upon charitably mm -hmm. so you could say he was a racist but he also did other things that were good yeah so the people could be cheering those aspects of him for the blackface performance offensive but not not as mocking as i the thing with isaiah is like the whole town yeah the whole town is in on it took part in it and for rep butler and insulting Prissy, it's one person to one person, but for a whole group of people to just... And it makes it even worse because Isaiah doesn't even seem to realize how much he's being insulted. So yeah. it, it... Yeah, it 
it's offensive on numerous levels yeah. of uh, displaying that that behavior is okay for the character that's being insulted to not even realize it because they're so uh, being depicted as being so simple-minded. It's gross on every level. Yeah. Comfortably uncomfortable putting Isaiah being mocked as the worst moment of the decade. Yeah, because for me, the other moments, the blackface performance in Great Ziegfeld, yes, incredibly offensive, but also very short, yeah. a very short moment. Cheering on the statue of, of Yancey at the end of Cimarron, I think it would probably go for the same explanation as you. Like, there's some redeeming qualities. We don't know exactly what people are cheering uh, for. And then, yeah, mocking Isaiah. That was just... that. It, it made me really sad. It, it's, a, it's a scene that made me really, really sad when we were watching it. What, rather than for... Butler calling Prissy a simple man in uh, darky. You could at least say in that scene that he's depicted as uh, not the best person. So it, yeah. the movie isn't necessarily signing off on that behavior. Right. But that scene in Simron when Isaiah is being mocked, you can clearly feel the movie being like, eh, eh. You can see everybody agreeing with Yancy. Yeah. Isn't this funny, audience? Let's all laugh at him together. Yeah. And it, it made my skin crawl. Yeah. So let's go for Cimarron. <laughs> and the worst moment of the decade. And an unhonorable mention here. There was a moment in You Can't Take It With You that we haven't mentioned where the the black man, Donald, yes. when they're put into the jail, mm -hmm. he walks into the jail cell and says, uh, oh, back home again. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. That wasn't, it wasn't great. And it's, the part that makes it even worse is that it's so quick, you almost don't notice it. Yep, it's just uh, casual racism. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost said, you know, on a, it's coming from the character himself. And it, he's almost saying it in a, he's almost joking. Yeah. Himself. So, yeah, you don't really you don't really notice it if you don't self-deprecating joke. Yes. Yeah. Well, finally, we're at our final category, the moment of the decade. Woo! We have the great Ziegfeld for the performances, especially the sliding stage. Yep. And just really defining what it is to be on uh, on Broadway. We have Cavalcade, the Titanic The scene. Titanic reveal. <laughs> the Titanic slow reveal. zoom in on the life preserver. <laughs> yeah. The life of Emile Zola for the final speech that Emile Zola gives in his trial. Mm -hmm. And Gone with the Wind, Red Butler leaving and saying, I don't give a damn. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Him getting so fed up that he just walks out of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Which one do you want to take out first? Uh, Zola's final speech. Okay. Tell, tell me why. Because I thought this could be a, a possible contender. But... I could not tell you a single <laughs> line from it. It was more the energy of it. I feel like for me, it was more the performance in itself. Yes. That he... It was shot in one take. It's a six-minute scene. There's... 
real conviction in the actor in Paul Muni when he's doing that speech and that was it was just beautifully delivered I think he's a master orator yeah and very good at what he does but like I said I don't I don't remember any of the actual content from the speech I more remember his delivery and yeah, his movements and him like staring into the crowd and yeah. almost being face to face with them. But what he actually said, ah, I couldn't tell you. He said it really good though. Sliding stage, Titanic, and Rhett Butler saying, "I don't give a damn." I think Rhett Butler can go next. I know that is an iconic scene in cinema history. Yeah, but. It wasn't enough to outweigh all the terrible shit, and especially the terrible ending that happens mere minutes after it. Right. Not enough to outweigh the, the sour taste that everything else in that movie left me with. All right. Which leaves us with our final two contenders for the moment of the decade, the sliding stage from the great Zegfeld, or the Titanic reveal from Cavalcade. I don't think this will come as any surprise to you that my vote <laughs> is for the fact that they were on the fucking <laughs> Titanic. Uh, I I I did not laugh half as hard at anything else in any of these movies. I lost my damn mind when they did that zoom in on the the titanic reveal it was so dumb and ham-fisted and i love it i you know when we made those categories i didn't think that i would go for it either but i think when i think back on it i'm thinking of all the build-up and the hints that were given and just that as soon as i saw the date on screen yep. i was like oh gosh oh gosh they're on the titanic the fact that they're talking about death and oh how cold it is and, yeah and i wouldn't mind dying tonight and oh but we've got our whole lives ahead of us and then hey, they careful walk away what you wish for they were on the titanic <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure the sliding stage is impressive and artistic and whatever but just the pure unadulterated joy that the Titanic scene brought me. Nothing else compares in this decade. Yeah. I think we're in agreement. Moment of the decade. Go through the whole list one more time. Give our the categories and the winners. All right. Should you start off or should I? I can start off. Best male character went to The Baron for You, Kringleine for Me. Both from The Grand Hotel. Yes. Best female character, unanimous, Mammy. Yes. We all know and love her. Absolutely. Though she would probably think that we're right, white trash. <laughs> it would be, you know what? It would be an honor to be called white trash Ab by Mammy. Absolutely. I would take it. Uh, worst male character is Captain Bly. Remember your duty. <laughs> worst female character, Scarlett O'Hara. Might might be in the running for worst female character of all time. We'll see. We'll have to, we'll have, to have a retrospective at the end. Yeah, of the of whole thing. The whole thing. She might be in... I could see her winning for every decade. She's going to be hard to top. <laughs> Four hours of just nonstop narcissism. 
We'll see. If she does, it will be impressive in itself. Yeah. Best visuals overall went to Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Unfair advantage of having color. Yes. Best visuals for a specific scene went to The Great Zegfield, The Layer Cake. Blows yeah. everything else out of the water. Right, rightfully so. A cake that rises to the heavens. Yeah. Most stylish went to Grand Hotel. It is style. Worst moment of the decade went to mocking Isaiah for his clothes in Cimarron. Yuck. And most, the best moment of the decade went to Cavalcade for the Titanic reveal. The fact that they were on the Titanic. Aren't you surprised? <laughs> and that what did, did you think of the 1930s? The decade overall was inconsistent, I would say. Mm-hmm. We started off with these really grim and serious movies, like dealing with war and tragedy, and then we hit the midpoint with Cavalcade. Yeah. And then after that, it seemed like they had just gorged on tragedy too much, and they wanted... They wanted their movies to be about escapism and uh, heroic tales rather than any sort of consideration of reality. Mm. So there was, yeah, that interesting shift away from dark, realistic material to... Yeah, when we made it to It Happened One Night, that was a surprising shift. Yeah, to just start into this very light and fluffy romantic tale and then... It, it hits the peak with you can't take it with you. Where oh, yeah. This is completely disconnected from reality. Yeah, we are just full on in delusion. Uh, everything is fine. It's all sunshine and rainbows. Great Depression. What's that? Never heard of it. <laughs> everything is fine. If you just keep saying it's fine, it'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know what I almost expected for you can't take it with you? I thought that the Great Depression would hit. And that Kirby would lose all his money and that grandpa was going to be able to like buy his house back. I I don't know why. I just It felt like this could have been an alternate ending of the story. That would have been a better, more realistic take. Yeah. yeah Kirby ends up in the gutter and then grandpa finds him and invites him to be a, a lily in the field with him. <laughs> and we don't have to deal with Mrs. Kirby at all because she would clearly divorce him if he oh, didn't have his wealth. Absolutely. Yeah, the 30s, plagued with racism, Yeah, plagued with misogyny. I can understand why people don't engage that much with older, you know, material. Yeah, well, especially nowadays. Yeah, from back in this time, because there is such a clear difference between attitudes now and then that it just... It feels like nails on a chalkboard a lot Yeah, watching this stuff where it just it doesn't jive at all with modern mm-hmm. sensibilities. And it's just yeah, it feels like it's awkward and uncomfortable and like you're stumbling downstairs and getting hit with all this uncomfortable, awful stuff that the only value in it is understanding how far we've come and being cautious of not letting those attitudes uh, prevail again. Right, right. It's not not the most pleasant 
things to engage with a lot of the time. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to things not immediately getting better, but for us to hopefully make some progress towards less racism and misogyny in the coming decades. Yeah, I was some I was thinking about something that my friend Clementine uh, said in and the comments that she's been giving us on the podcast too. She was talking about Gone with the Wind and how we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that there's a, a warning that obviously I, wasn't there when the movie came out, but it tells us, oh, the Gone with the Wind is a product of its time. And I think every movie we watched this decade could use that warning, <laughs> with the possible exception of Wings. I don't think there was anything racist in Wings. No. Misogynist, sure. Yes, but not racist. Yep. Um, which... It still says something about society today that we have to tell people that they're watching something that depicts a culture that is a, a cultural product of its time. It still says something that we have to warn audiences that they shouldn't take it as it's for what it looks like. You're almost. saying that truth should be self-evident. It should be self-evident. Like, it still says something about our society that is still, you know, fairly racist, more than fairly racist nowadays, that we have to include that message to uh, to the audience. So, like I said, I hope that we make it further along the way to being if not not racist, at least less racist, and that baby steps and baby steps, yeah, baby steps. But it's yeah, it still bothers me that we're we're not as far along as we could be. Yeah, this all this is all terrible and gross, and it happened not even a hundred years ago. Yeah, one lifetime ago, we were this awful. Yeah, I don't think when all is said and done that any of these movies are going to crack the top 20 even possibly grand hotel that might be the only one i i think a lot of these movies are going to be towards the bottom of the list when we're done with this whole project uh, probably i hope i know that there's a lot of you know we haven't watched even half of the movies yet and there's Lots of the movies that I, I have never heard of, and I'm uh, very willing to be happily surprised to see where we're going. There's definitely a, a bunch of movies that I'm excited to be rewatching for the for the podcast. Yeah, and maybe have a, a different take on them. We're coming up on Casablanca pretty soon. Yeah, and I've seen that one before. I know for a fact it's a great movie. Yeah, probably be number one. I hope so. I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it i don't think i've ever watched it entirely so yeah humphrey bogart yeah another hollywood leading man yeah maybe the only one who could give clark gable a run for his money yeah i'm excited to you know make it to more modern movies as well like you know when we're coming to our time for like stuff like everything everywhere all at once I'm definitely looking forward to movies having color again. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be another 12 years after Gone with the Wind, though. Oh, God. First one was 12 years in. Second one was uh, 24 years in. Wow. 12 years in between both of them. And then hopefully by, what, mid-50s, you think, we'll be getting 
all colors continuous color i hope so yep and i have nothing against black and white but it just it was so it was such a nice break There's, for with gone with the wind to have colors and to give it and uh, give the movie even more mood with those colors yeah there's so much more artistic options when you have color it's just this whole other world is unlocked and going to that for gone with wind and then now going back to black and white you just become that much more aware of what you're missing out on or like how much we would have loved to see the great ziegfeld in color to see all all the decorations all the props all the costumes that would have been fantastic so an unintentional tragedy yeah there were was it Great Zegfeld or was it Broadway Melody that had a, a color section that was lost? It was uh, Broadway Melody. Broadway Melody. Not surprising that that got color and then Great Zegfeld didn't. With the amount of money that must have gone into Zegfeld. Yeah. God knows how those decisions are made, though. I don't know. We don't have the time. We already spent 30 years making this fucking cake. Now you want us to get color <laughs> cameras? Just shoot it. Just shoot it. <laughs> overall it's an exciting project yeah looking forward to the 40s and how things continue to develop you can the most exciting parts we're seeing the techniques starting to be crafted and made like the stylish lighting in it happened one night and the the little narrative experiments in grand hotel yeah where they're trying out different things and the them just coming up with new ways to transition from scene to scene and it it's slowly becoming a, a more accomplished art form yeah i'm excited for our next movie rebecca for rebecca yeah we're making it to our first thriller yeah and alfred hitchcock yeah master of tension anything else to be said about the 30s no i think we've covered it uh, finally put it to bed and on to the next decade next decade 40s yep so next episode will be about rebecca i'm glad to be here with you audience i'm glad to be here with you i'm glad to be here with you my love my lovely luscious lightning bolt onslaught wife (laughs) i'm being called so many things so many different adjectives and descriptors i need to go back to the episodes and make a list so i don't repeat (laughs) myself Maybe I should do the intro and and, uh, find descriptors for you. Oh, my God. Couldn't handle the shock. Hmm? We'll see what happens. Change it up by decade, maybe. Yeah. We'll see. But for now, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it, that's it, that's it.